Rescue on Fractalus was the first LucasArts game to appear on the Coco. How does it stack up to the Atari 8-bit port? It's the Coco Show, episode 19. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Show. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about Rescue on Fractalus. Aaron... Mm. What is the most harrowing rescue operation you've ever been a part of? Well, it's funny you should mention that boat, because I have been involved in a few uh, rescue efforts. The one that comes to mind, I had a buddy named Neil, and he was dating a girl out uh, out the creek. Uh, mm. I believe the cr- this creek in this particular instance uh, may out have Turkey been... Out Turkey Creek? No, I think it was like Cow Creek. It's one of these creeks. They're Cow all the Creek's same. pretty high up on the list of creeks, though. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty high class creek. That correct. And so he was dating this uh, chick who had a real militant mom. All right, mm. this is high school days. I'm the guy with the license, you know. Right. So he says, "Listen, he goes, we're gonna go pick my girlfriend up at the house. She's got to get out of there." I'm like, "Okay, man." But he goes, "Listen, her mom won't let her leave, and so she's gonna pull this bit where she climbs out the window. Ooh. You know that that old trick." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay." So he goes, so when you get up there, cruise your car in with the engine off. No problem. I've, I've used that plenty of times to come home. Mm-hmm. You know, that stick. Turn yeah. the lights off. Turn the engine off. Coast into the driveway. It's a done deal. So we get there. Turn the lights off. Turn the engine off. Coast in. And I've got a dude with me. So we're, it's, a, it's a dual effort. So Neil jumps, operation. Neil jumps out. He goes, he goes over. He goes to the chick's window. And... She's, I see her start wiggling, you know, the door window opens and she starts wiggling out the window. He's, you know, trying to help her down. So while this is happening, the front door opens and the mom walks out and stands like with her arms on her sides, right beside, right behind Neil. And Neil's uh, oblivious. I think he was drunk. And she's just standing there. She's not saying nothing. And so Neil is still trying to help this chick out. And I'm like, oh my God. So I, I rolled my window down. I go, Neil, Neil, look behind you. And he turned around dopely and looked. He saw the mom there. And so then he starts trying to shove the chick back in. And she doesn't know what's happening. She's still trying to get out. So she's wiggling and he's shoving. And finally, he just gets to the old heave-ho, shoots her across the room. She disappears. Neil drunkenly staggers to the car and jumps in. And so, and then we got the heck out of there. So, yeah, that I, that's the one I would say. I kind of rescued somebody there. What about you? Probably, probably. Uh, I don't know that I've ever rescued anyone. I think that uh, getting married rescued me from a life of uh, drunken debauchery. It did. Um, well, maybe <laughs> half of that. <laughs> I, you know, there's always a story about. Uh, I remember there was one time you rescued Teresa from on Mud Mountain when her car almost went over the side of the mountain. That's true. That's true. Uh, Mud Mountain was uh, notoriously steep and slick in the in the ice. And snow, and uh, she called me on the phone weeping. She's like, "Man, I'm, she's, I can't get off the hill. I'm, I'm gonna fall to my death." And Mud Mountain is right beside the interstate, so I was on the interstate at the time, and I looked over and I could see her car teetering off the cliff. Mm. So I drove as quick as I could down there, parked my jeep, ran up the hill, helped her get out of the car, hopped in it, and I success. I did finally get it to the top of the hill because I had a little more skill in the in the uh, Mud Mountain driving abilities to get it up there. But yeah. Many people have fallen off the mountain, including myself. So, yeah, mm. it, it was a dangerous proposition. Probably I'm better for my health to have gotten the heck off there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have any great stories like that. Most of the time, people rescue me. I don't do any rescuing. There you go. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I'm waiting for that phone call now. 
<laughs> All right, Aaron, let's talk about Rescue on Fractalus. Yes, Rescue on Fractalus. Now, both, uh, you know, this game, it sort of has a, a, a rep, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you're an old Atari guy, an old 8-bit guy. Had you, had you uh, came across this one before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This now, is so a game from- that I, I played. Uh, I didn't play it when I had my first go-round with the Atari. I'd never heard of it. But when I got mm-hmm. back into the retro scene and back into the Atari 8-bit, this was one that everybody's like, you need to play Rescue on Fractalus. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, I can see why. It's very unique. Uh, of course, uh, you know, it, it being part of that uh, small, smallish group of titles that made its debut on the Atari 8-bits rather than the Apple II or the C64 and then ported everywhere else from there. So Yeah. I first played this on the Atari myself uh, back in the day. It's funny, we were talking before the show. Uh, this in, When this game was in production, the working title at the time was called Behind Jaggy Lines. And... Uh, I remember, I distinctly remember playing behind Jaggy Lines, and so I, w- I would speculate that maybe there was a leak or maybe some versions of that game with that title got out. Because I remember playing a game called that, mm-hmm. although Rescue and Fractalus is, is a better name, <laughs> needless to say. But yeah, I'd play this back today, too. It's funny, I had not played this on the on the uh, Coco very often at all. I did have it back uh, when I had the Coco through, but I don't remember booting it up that much because I remember, and basically, cause I didn't have the documentation as usual. And so I didn't know what the buttons did. Right. So I'm, uh, this is the first time I've really known what was going on. So let's get into it here. Rescue and Fractalus. Of course, it was developed by Lucasfilm Games. Uh, they, Of course, they did a lot of great stuff. But on the Coco, they, they did this at Cronus Rift. Uh, this came out on the Coco in 87. It came out on everything else around 84. Uh, this got released on several platforms. Some of these, but we're going to try, by the way, as I look over this list. Uh, this got released on the Atari 8-bits, of course, uh, an Atari 5200 port, uh, the Amstrad CPC. I'd like to see what that looks like, frankly. Mm-hmm. The Apple II, the C64, and the ZX Spectrum, which I didn't wow. expect to see that on there either, Boat. So we may have to give that one a whirl. Uh, the Coco version requires the uh, uh, requires 128K of memory. Uh, it's only on disk, and you have to have... OS, this runs out of OS 9 Level 2 or the Nitro 9, Nitro OS. That's the... Uh, sort of the newish, the hot new thing, which is the way I played it, by the way. Uh, and it requires a joystick. Now, uh, of course, published by Epics through Radio Shack, as everything was. So what do you do in this crazy game? There's actually, <laughs> if you look at the manual, there's a pretty comprehensive backstory to this thing. Uh, basically, uh, you've got pilots that have crashed on this planet. And the planet's uh, atmosphere is acidic, Okay. Uh, this is this is a short version, and so your job is to go, is to go onto the planet and land and rescue these pilots without getting shot by the various gun stations on the on the uh, planet. And eventually, you you'll even run into uh, enemy fighters and whatnot. And you've got to land and you've got to get the pilots into your ship. Uh, and then that, and when you rescue all the pilots, you can leave and go back and dock with the mothership and then go to the next level. The uh, the funny thing is. All these uh, pilots, they've crash-landed in their ship, so they're okay in their ship. But when you land, uh, they they have to emerge from their ship and run to your ship. And as they do that, they're slowly basically melting because of the atmosphere. It's, it's an acidic right. atmosphere. So if you if you don't open the door for them quick enough, they can literally die at the door. 
at the door. They would melt mm-hmm. horribly. Right. So it's it's. I mean, I think that's a really cool plot. I mean, it's th- an excellent plot yeah. for a video game. Who doesn't want to swoop in, land on a foreign planet, pick up a guy that's running towards you, and then blast off again? Yeah. I mean, that's like the ultimate Star Wars fantasy. Yeah, and the bad guys. This are the Jaggies, which is, I think that's a cute code mm-hmm. name, you know, because we yeah. all know what Jaggies are. And they actually, in the manual, they go into what the Jaggies are, like the Jaggies are. They also go into what kind of ship you're running. There's a lot of like, there's a whole page of like a picture of your ship and all the stats and stuff on it. The manual is pretty cool for this. It actually gives you a lot of help too, because it's, this game for a a title of this era was incredibly advanced. Wouldn't you Mm -hmm. agree? Yes. Uh, Yeah. So the graphics on this were something that really you hadn't really seen before. Uh, mm-hmm. boat had you ever seen it i mean when you first saw this what was your impressions back in the day well like i said i didn't play this back in the day but when i played it for the first time coming back to it yeah i was floored because i di- I just didn't think the graphics like this were possible on the atari 8-bit machines i mean the the, the smoothness at which it the the the, the terrain passes by under you yeah. it was incredible and the amount of detail now when we talk about the amount of detail, I mean, we're talking about shapes and lines and colors. It's not like you're seeing like alien cities below you or anything like that. But just the illusion, the illusion of the landscape is very complete, even though it's simple. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those games. And, and thankful you're watching the video of this. But if, if you're not, please go check out a, a video because it's hard to explain graphically what it is and it's even harder to explain how it fit into the timeline of of computers back in the day this is the kind of terrain that just simply was never seen Mm -hmm. Uh, you're you get the feeling that you are flying a ship over an alien uh landscape well and it's interesting too i was reading an article in an episode of atari it was i think atari computer user magazine i got uh the slow norris sent us a bunch of these magazines and i'm still reading them And uh, they were talking about how when they first came up with the concept of this game, everybody at Atari said they were crazy. They said there's no possible way that you can do a first person uh, space flight game with 3D terrain and make it run anywhere close to fast enough where it would be fun. And they said, oh, yeah. And then they made it. Yeah, I agree. Now, I will say I want to get into the fact that this on the Coco uh, version of this game. Uh, they, they did an excellent job. The author of this was a guy named Ken Rogaway, uh, uh, and he he did a tremendous job. It's funny, uh, our own L. Curtis Boy, our good buddy, actually mentioned in our uh, uh, in our Discord that uh, this game is in assembly. Uh, it says here that uh, Ken Rogaway ported it in six weeks, uh, converting the sixty five hundred two assembly code uh, to the sixty eight hundred nine, and he said which he'd never seen before. And also, he mentioned that it was. Uh, about 90% conversion from the 6502 and 10% doing the 6809. Uh, he did it all under the OS9 operating system, which he'd also never used. So he was literally walking out in uncharted territory here uh, when he was converting this over. And also uh, it was mentioned that when when Coronas Rift was done, this conversion was much easier because now they had an idea of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So you can understand that. I want to get into Ken Rogaway a little bit. He has a pretty decent uh, 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 resume here. He started game programming in 82 for an effort called Creative Software. So check out some of the stuff he worked on, Boat. He worked on the PC version of California Games. He worked on, like I said, Rescue of Fractilis and Chris Rift on the Coco. He did uh, World Games and Winter Games on the on the Apple IIe. 
Uh, amongst the other things he worked on over his career, he did Blood Rain 2, Star Wars The Force Unleashed, Ghostbusters on the PC, the newer one. So, so he's, he actually, he, I mean, he continues on into the modern era. He has retired now, okay. from what I read. But yeah, he was actually, he did a lot of stuff. So, with all that said, let's get into the into, into the meat of the game here. Uh, like we said, you come down, you start sort of almost like a, a warp speed. You come out of warp over this over fractalus. I should say that fractalus is actually named because of the fractal technology they used to create the landscape. Which again, this was something that ha- I, I don't know if I had ever been used in a game. I don't mm-hmm. I don't remember ever seeing it before, and I'd seen it used after this quite a bit, but not before it. So I, I think this is probably paving the way. Um, you come out of uh, orbit into the planet, and then you have to go around using your radar to try to find these down ships. They'll come up on your radar, and actually, the radar system is kind of twofold in this boat. It's a pretty, it's a pretty intricate uh, control setup, isn't it, boat on this thing? You know, it's funny. We we fault games all the time for having big HUDs on the screen that take yeah. up half the screen. This is the exception. This is this. This is the huge HUD where every single thing on there is useful. Uh, you know, you stole my line. That's exactly right. <laughs> this is the this may be the only time I've ever seen one of these things where every single thing in your control panel ha- has a legitimate purpose that you need to know. Right. You know, everything from your uh, your uh, uh, a horizon indicator, the ra- the two different types of radar, your thrust, if your airlock's open, if you're powered down, if you're powered up, like how much space you have on the sides, a compass. It's got all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you need every bit of it. I mean, it, you, let me rephrase that. You don't need it. You don't need all of it, but it helps. And like it's functional. Any ship it's, would not, have it's, that. it's yeah. not just like a picture of your pilot, you know, right. or something dumb like that. Like no. even if it, everything you don't need 100% of the time, it looks like you're inside the cockpit of a plane and everything is functional. And that adds to the immersive experience. Again, this is just the immersive quality of this game can't be overstated. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, this game is leagues, light years ahead of the competition mm-hmm. of this type back in the day. So as you descend into the uh, rocky uh, terrain of Fractalus, you will encounter uh, jaggy uh, like encampments, basically, where they can shoot at you. And the shots come out from up on the hills, and they look awesome on the lower levels. Eventually, they'll even dispatch a, a like uh, craft that can come hit you. It can come at you, which is cool. Uh, the, but the, the most of the time, you're going to encounter the shots coming from the hills, and they look awesome. Like the rendering of the shots, they look like what shots would look like if you saw them off in the distance, don't they, Boat? Yes. I mean, it's it, quite amazing. I, I still don't exactly know how they did it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> to either. tell you the truth. <laughs> and I can't describe what it looks like. Right. It just works. But it looks real. Yeah. And when you shoot back, that looks real, too. Mm-hmm. And you can actually hit this stuff. Because right. the targeting in this is not, you don't have to be exact. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you have to... Uh, uh, you have to be close, you know, and that and that will get you there. So once you've navigated your way down to the planet service, you're going to start looking for your pilots. Now you've got a you've got a little radar range on the right hand side of your control panel. That's like almost looks like a down arrow, and when and you'll see dots come on that, and they'll outline enemies or down ships. And then you can use that to get a, an approximation of where you want to land. And then you can use the, the forward radar, which is dead center, that has a crosshair on it with a blown up, almost like it's like a TV monitor. And then you can use that to show you where exactly where the ships are. Yeah. When you've, dis- when you've determined where you need to land, 
you don't you have to go over and you and you just hit basically the L button and you it will land assuming mm-hmm. you're not too high. But that's not all you have to do, is it, Boat? You've got a so uh, there's a procedure that you have to follow. Yes, there is. Yes, so, there is. You have to power this, down. This is, this is again. This is part of the fun of the game is because yeah. you're pretending. I mean, again, you're you're in the cockpit of this thing, so you land, okay, and then you've got to turn. You've got to power down. You got to turn your systems off, and then you've got to open up that airlock. So the pilot yeah. that's running towards you, and then when you open the airlock, you hear the pilot run towards you now. There, you know, we can talk about the actual realism of having sound in a vacuum. You know, we don't yeah. know what the atmosphere is like. Who cares? You hear the pitter patter of quiet feet uh, yeah. come to come towards you. You hear the pilot, you know, jump in and then you close the airlock. You turn on your systems and you blast off. Now, from what I read in the manual, the reason you have to turn your systems off is because that effectively is turning off a shield that surrounds your that surrounds right. your uh, your ship. The neat thing is, depending on how you land, if you land, for example, with the uh, down ship in front of you, you can see the down ship and you'll see the pilot come out and run towards your ship. So it's another awesome. super impressive thing where the level of realism for the time where you see it, it's like the sprite gets bigger as he get, as he comes towards you. Super yeah. awesome. And what's even what's great, too, is that when you land away from the ship, you don't see any of that stuff. Right. The game is pretty uh, is pretty forgiving. In terms of you don't have to land right on top of the ship to be in range, yeah. and, and the yeah. game tells you if there's if the if the if he's in range, it says right up at the top, pilot in range. If he's not in range, then you've got to get closer. So, I found that to be very very good because oh, the game's designers they wanted you to succeed, they didn't want to punish you, and you know the game definitely gets more difficult on the later levels, but that part of the game, the landing, the getting the pilots, they made it very forgiving. Absolutely. And, and and the thing is, you wouldn't there if you were if this was real, you wouldn't necessarily land where you could see the pilot as long as he was in range and you the, the sound effects get you there. Right. And it works great. Something else you can do is off the wall things. For example, you can land without powering your shields off and you could just blast the pilot. You can shoot his ship. You can not open the airlock and he'd so he'll he'll knock. They don't knock faster. They don't knock slower. And then presumably he dies. He dies. The acid <laughs> yeah. gets him. Yeah. So you can kill the pilot. You can shoot the down pilot. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. As you get onto the higher levels of this, and I thought this was real neat, folks. I knew this was in the game, but I didn't know the full backstory on this. Uh, when you get into the game later on, uh, you will land, and sometimes a pilot will come out, and they'll look a little different. Right. And what it is, it's a it's a jaggy in disguise and he will come up and start ran- it's smashing your window, basically. Mm-hmm. And you have to turn your systems on and take off or he'll kill you right there on the spot. And I can tell you when this happened the first time, trust that was the first time I saw that was on the Atari back in the day. But when the first time that happened, we about jumped out of our socks. I mean, it really did scare the crap out of us. And I was reading uh, uh, the uh, the docs for this and the and the wiki, and it said that George Lucas suggested that he was oh, like, "Yeah, you should the jump scare. Yeah, you should put this in. It'll be funny." And uh, um, they didn't document it or talk about it in any of their uh, advertising at all. They didn't want anyone to know about it. So there were people, much like myself, of course, I pirated this, but who had no idea that could happen. Something else we uh, need to touch on is the fact that that, that you've got a, a, a day and night cycle on this, mm-hmm. which it, and that does drastically affect the way you you know your, your how you can pilot around because you can easily 
careen into these mountains and stuff if you're not paying attention or if you're going too fast. Of course, you can adjust your own uh, there, you can adjust your own uh, um, uh, thrust to accommodate for your how fast you want to go to these cliffs. Uh, but I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on here. I did not get super high. How how many how high up the level chain did you attempt, Bode? I started. I started at level four. I didn't go back to level one. Oh, I, I, I went to level, level one to start. I didn't okay. have. So what was it like at level four, Bode? There's just there's uh, from what I could tell because I went back to level one. There's more stuff that shoots at you. And there's more pilots to rescue. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, the, the game didn't seem to give you any, you know, harder other than the fact that you had to, you know, uh, you had to defend yourself against more bad guys. Yeah. The, uh, it's funny because when the, when the Jaggies come up to trick you, at first they have like, I believe it's a different colored helmet, mm-hmm. but eventually they look exactly like a pilot. I read. And, it, and so you have to throw your shields on real quick. The I read, I've never seen this, but I read that they could actually, if you open the airlock, they'll come in your ship and start wrecking it. I don't know what that, I've never seen that, but I yeah. read that. So what, I don't know if that, that that's something to try on your own. I, I don't, I've never personally seen it. Um, I can't gush enough about this one though. Now let's talk about some of the shortcomings, uh, boat. Uh, does this run at breakneck speed? No, it is not. If you're used to a modern flight simulator, uh, this is not going to be your bag because it, it runs along at a, at a, at a, a dismal frame rate, uh, despite the fact that it was the best that you could get out of these machines at the time. Uh, I did a, I made up a little comparison here, Boatster, uh, between the uh, Atari 5200 version, which is effectively the 8-bit version of the mm-hmm. Atari, and the, uh, the Coco 3 version. You can see... First of all, you can see that they did a lot of work in the couple years they had extra on the on the Radio Shack version to make the control panel look a lot cooler, and the mountains yeah. look more detailed. But you can see that the Atari fifty two hundred version of this is whipping along at a, at, a, at a slightly better frame. Where wouldn't you wouldn't you say? Yeah, this this the speed is the the big difference. Uh, if you play the Atari, I didn't play the fifty two hundred version. I played the Atari eight bit version, but I played back to back with the Coco version, and the speed is the is the is the big difference. Uh, the the cockpit looks best on the Coco three of all the different Absolutely. versions that I looked at. Oh yeah. At. Yeah, um, the colors and everything look the best, um, but um, the speed, you know, and the, and the speed is everything in a game like this. Now, there is funny. Picard mentioned a game called Infiltrator. Have you ever played a game called Infiltrator before, Aaron? I don't know. It, I, the name rings a bell, but I, I can't say here and say it with certainty that I have. This uh, Infiltrator is a game that that borrows a lot from Rescue on Fractalus. You start the game piloting a helicopter. Yeah. And you have to land in various places and then. It turns into a game uh, like and more like an adventure game, like a third person adventure game where you have to go into different places on a base and you have to shuffle through documents and stuff like that. Then you blast off again. So uh, it's I would call it kind of the spiritual successor to rescue on fractals. If you're looking to play another game in that genre, check out Infiltrator. I'm sure it came out on the C64. I played it on the on the NES. It's funny you should mention that boat because. There was a sequel planned for this game. First of all, there were several versions of this game that never that were made and never got released. There was an unreleased 7800 version, Atari 7800. Uh, it was found in 2004, uh, and most of the core elements of the game was intact, but it had been canceled at some point. Now, get this, Bo. This hits so close to home for us. LucasArts and Factor 5, you may have heard of them, they began working on a sequel titled Rescu- uh, Return to Fractalus on the Amiga. In oh. the late 80s. Hmm. But they decided the hardware couldn't handle it. 
So they uh, they were going. So they decided to do a port of Rescue and Fractalus. Rainbow Arts was going to do that. We know them. I believe they yeah. were behind the Turrican, Turrican. series, right? Uh, in February '91, they mentioned it in the One magazine, but it was never released. They by that time they probably saw the the uh, the ship was sinking. Mm-hmm. So in '95 or '94, Factor Five thought that the current generation of consoles could handle that sequel they wanted to make and they started working on it but eventually they turned it into what ended up being star wars rogue squadron on the n64 holy cow wow yeah what something a story. else when they made here's something else i didn't know when they started making rescue and fractals they decided that they wanted it to be based on the star wars universe and lucas was like nah <laughs> not doing that now there's one there's one other thing i want to do talk about here before we put this to bed our own L. Curtis Boyle is a renowned uh, Coco master, and he's been converting a lot of these older games, old Coco games, over to run on the new on the sixty three hundred nine processor, which is a real simple upgrade you can do to your uh, Color Computer three. And so he put together a video that I, that I horked, and I'm going to show it to you now. Uh, on the left side, you see a standard Coco three version of this, and on the right side, you see the enhanced sixty three hundred nine version. Uh, Curtis, I believe, completely disassembled the code uh, for this game and and put in his uh, speed ups, and you could tell right away. Oh my gosh, there is a, it, there it's, is an it's a night and day difference in terms of the speed for sure. Yeah, Curtis also tells me that the six three zero nine works with the Coco one and two as well. Uh, the speed difference in this is off the charts mm-hmm. off the charts yeah i mean it's a it's a much better game it's, it's really the best of both worlds because you get the speed of the atari 8-bit port plus the resolution of the coco 3 it's, yeah it's, it's the best way to play the game I'm i sure. will say yeah because the coco really its version is superior to all the other versions yeah except for the speed and when you add that it's go time yeah and curtis uh, did want us to mention that if you download the latest version of nitros 9 yes uh, the eou edition it comes with this game pre-installed so if you've got a coco 3 and uh, and you've got that that processor upgrade. You can uh, you can check this out right away. And that's exactly how I played it. I, I, I mean, <laughs> that's a whole that's that could be a whole show in itself. But that it, Nitro is not as great. But yeah, this is outstanding. Curtis has put a lot of these speed ups in a, in a ton of games. But I mean, I think this might be. And Curtis is in here. He can check, correct me. This has got to be the most dramatic difference that that speed up has made. So if you've got a Coco three. Uh, I strongly suggest uh, thinking about having that processor upgrade. That's a real simple upgrade. I did mine myself. Uh, and it also uh, takes, it releases a lot of, of uh, heat in your system. And it takes a lot of strength power supply as well. So it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, easy upgrade all around, Boatster. Yeah. that I recommend. I'm going to be checking this out on the uh, on the Mister. Uh, you know, I've just got a, a Mister, and there is a Coco Three Core that is available, and I'm going to be I'm going to be getting that and, and checking it out for sure. Did we get any Discord action on this boat? You know, let me check. I gotta, I gotta see. Well, yes, we did. We got a, a review from one L. Curtis Boyle himself, and he writes, "This was a groundbreaker of a game when it came out on other platforms. Using innovative techniques, using fractal math to convert a simple sixteen by sixteen grid of heights and depths into realistic mountainscapes, especially given the limits of doing this on eight bit systems." The original Coco 3 version came out a couple years after the other 8-bit versions, and it shows in the graphics are enhanced with more detail on the console and a much better pilot running animation. The game's fun and adds new challenges as you progress through levels. Uh, and uh, it the only bad thing is that after you've mastered the game, the difficulty increases stop after a certain level. The Coco version's sound is minimal too. I give it a 7.5 out of 10, 
or an eight for my speed improved versions, particularly for the six three oh nine. I would <laughs> like bump like. that up to a nine, Curtis, with with your with your uh, with your your inclusions there. I agree. I uh, by the way, I did take the chance to look this up on eBay. Boat, mm. uh, you can get this complete in box. Uh, 50 bucks or best offer that's up there right now. Uh, there's I saw one up for 25 bucks, but the box was in rough shape. And you can get one with just the disc and the manual for $15 bills, Boaster. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, as we cruise on to the end of the show, we do want to thank all the fine folks that make the Coco Show possible. I'm talking about our Patreon supporters. Uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the Coco Show, and uh, you can uh, support the show either at the $4 or $10 a month level. We want to thank our Coco Show supporters, Steve Rasmussen and Buttons, and we want to give a big shout out to our Coco superstar, William Becker. Thank you guys so much for supporting the Coco Show. Thanks, guys. We record the Coco Show live uh, on twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. So if you're not subscribed to our uh, Twitch channel, make sure you give us a follow uh, and uh, you can be notified whenever we record. And uh, we've also got a group of uh, fine folks that have joined us in the chat. So we thank all of the fine folks uh, that are in the chat right now that are watching the show live. Thank you for being here. Uh, and we will be back next time with another new edition of the Coco Show. Aaron, there's only one more thing to say, and that's all hail El Curtis Boyle. <laughs>